Good morning. This really feels like a Baptist church. <laughs> but uh, hey, good, good to see you folks. And um, I want to do a, a couple things um, by way of introduction this morning. We're moving into um, uh, chapter four of the London Baptist Confession. It's of creation. And today's, we're not really going to do much with that particular chapter. I'm going to give you just several reasons why the doctrine of creation is, is important. And so you might turn to um, Isaiah chapter 37, Isaiah chapter 37, and in a few moments I'm going to read verses 14 to 20, and that's to kind of orient our thinking towards the subject at hand, which is creation. And, and again, the, the focus this morning will be preparatory to the chapter, just some reasons, various reasons why it's such an important doctrine. But uh, before that, in your, in your notes, if you turn towards the, ne- the next to the last page of your notes, I have a... This is right out of Voices from the Past, and I thought it was just very helpful. It's from Ezekiel Hopkins. If, you, if you're a reader of that book, this is from August the 18th, and it, and it fits in with what we've been talking about in terms of the providence of God. So I just wanted to uh, read this, and then we'll go to Isaiah and then have a word of prayer. But I thought this was, uh, was helpful in terms of uh, the providence of God, which is what we have been considering. So um, the, the scripture at the top is Psalm 73, verses 3 and 17. I was envious of the wicked until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. And then Hopkins writes this, Providence is an act of God whereby, according to his eternal and most wise counsel, he preserves and governs all things and directs them all to their ends, but chiefly to his own glory. It is necessary for out, out excuse me, should, should be our, it is necessary for our hearts to be well established in this truth that we may acknowledge God with praise for the good that comes to pass and embrace the bad with patience. I thought this was a, a very helpful sentence. Some doubt God's providence when it can be seen that the wicked flourish and the godly are often exposed to poverty, contempt, and reproach. Wicked dives. That's kind of an old word for the rich man in Luke chapter 16. Uh, feasted every day while godly Lazarus starved at this glutton's gate entertaining the dogs with licking his sores Uh, did uh, did God's particular care furnish the glutton's table and only give scraps to his child this question has been a problem of all ages actually this is an affirmation not a contradiction of God's providence the world has always hated God's children but God sustains them amidst the rage and hatred of their enemies Though continually oppressed, they are are never rooted out of the world. We see the power and care of Almighty God to keep a bush unconsumed in the midst of fire. When he brings calamity on his own children, it's for their trial. What wicked men possess of this world is all that they can ever hope for. The inequality of his providence in this life will be cleared up at the day of judgment. Blessings of this life may not be mercies but snares. Oh, never call dives delicious fare good things if it ends in torment. Was it good for him to be wrapped in purple who is now wrapped in flames? Lazarus sores are not evil if he now lies in Abraham's bosom. In that day, all will be made plain. God may bless one by affliction and curse another by prosperity. Nothing is truly good but promotes eternal happiness. Well, I thought that was helpful. So now if you're, if you're in uh, Isaiah chapter 37 and beginning in verse 14. Isaiah chapter 37 and beginning in verse 14. I move our thinking here towards the, the, the doctrine of creation. Um, then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. 
And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. He says, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Shennacherib, who sent them to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated all the countries in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but works of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, verse 20, Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And let us pray, shall we? Father, this morning we, we thank you so much for the privilege of coming together on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, and worshiping you and praising you and loving you. I, I thank you for each one that is here this morning and pray that our time together would be profitable. I would pray, as always, for the help of your Holy Spirit to convey your living and pure and holy word in a way that is pleasing to thee and in a way that is honoring to thee. And I pray it would be good and helpful for our souls as we consider the great reality that you are the creator. Uh, I pray that the, you would just press that deep into our hearts and souls and increase our own reliance on thee and delight in thee and trust in thee and so may, may our time together be, be profitable and helpful and might it redound to thy glory we ask these things in jesus name amen okay so uh chapter four london baptist uh, confession of faith is a, a theme of creation it's a fairly short chapter comparatively speaking only three paragraphs um, and, and, but my, my goal this morning is just to we'll, we'll really not get into that, but I wanted to just share with you a number of reasons all related to the doctrine of creation and, and why it is a, it's such an important doctrine. So those are what you have in your notes. And I have um, some of the scriptures printed out, thought it might just facilitate our, our movement through it a little bit better. So that's what, what your notes primarily are. They're just the main points and the scriptures. And um, so the, the first one is this. The fact that the God of the Bible is the creator of the world assures us that he will not forsake us in times of difficulty. Uh, one of, the, one of the, um, the value of this particular doctrine, it assures us that he will not forsake us in times of difficulty. And the, this is a really classic uh, text on um, trusting God, relying on God. You have it in your notes here, Isaiah 40 and verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power or strength. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not become tired. Um, verse 27 here is kind of a universal complaint. Uh, Edward Young points this out, a very helpful commentary on Isaiah. It's a, a universal complaint raised in times of difficulty. That is, my way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't really know what's going on in my life. And in some form of this complaint, I think, is, uh, is understandable. In, in Psalm chapter 73, for example, which was, is, is noted here, where you have a, a godly man, he's envious of the wicked because of their prosperity. 
And uh, you might notice just for your own thinking, this seems to be the case in John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, where he's in, in, in jail. Um, but I, when, when things are, are difficult, then it's possible to start to reason in this way that, you know, if the, you've been down this path before or at least talked about this. If God loves me, if God is all powerful, if God is all wise, then why, things, why, why are things like this? And I don't know if you've ever thought, if I was God, things would be a little different right now. Uh, I, I would make things a little different than they actually are. Um, and, and so part of his complaint is my way is hidden from the Lord, uh, a statement which would, which would reveal that, that God is, is not omniscient. Um, he, he doesn't see everything. He doesn't know what's going on. The justice due me escapes notice. Um, and and this, is, this is thinking that God is just like a human being. He doesn't know what's going on. Justice escapes me. So it's really a, a reducing of God to another human being. They don't know what's really going on in my life or they don't know what's going on in my heart. And it's that, that, so it's that kind of thinking. Um, and I, Isaiah um, feels like the right response to this, to this frame of mind and, and what is needed is to impress upon them the nature and the character of God, especially the fact that God is everlasting and that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. So, so his medicine for this condition, so to speak, is to press upon them that God is the, the creator uh, of the ends of the earth. Edward Young writes, by, by way of proving or exhibiting the fact that he is eternal, the prophet states that he is the creator of the ends of the earth, that is, the limits or bounds of the creation. The thought might also be expressed by saying that God is the, the creator of the entirety of the earth. He is the creator of all things and not limited by space. So there, there would be one reason. A second reason, and it's closely related to this, um, is the persuasion that God who made the heavens and the earth um, is able to help me. The persuasion that God is the, is the creator of the ends of the earth is also a persuasion that he is able to help me in times of difficulty, closely related to the point that we made. But Psalm 146 and verse 1, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. And then verse 5, How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. So here the thought is, my, my hope is in the one who made heaven and earth, my hope, my help will come from the one who made heaven and earth. And I, I think the underlying thought here, if he's done the greater, he can do the lesser. If he made heaven and earth, he can help me. I mean, if he did this, he can do that. So I, I think that's kind of the thought that is brought out there. Well, then thirdly, um, this the idea that God is the creator is a motivation for heartfelt praise and worship. And this kind of flows really back and forth between like the prayer that we, we read there. But uh, here I have Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5. Then the Levites, um, who have a bunch of names that are somewhat difficult to pronounce. Uh, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, uh, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabina, and Pethahiah. Nobody names their kids that, those kind of things anymore for some reason. But Okay, uh, arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever. O oh, may thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessings and praise. Thou alone art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. 
thou dost give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before thee. So there's this amazing, incomparable power related to the fact that, that God is the creator. He's the almighty God. Consequently, um, it, it, he is the one that, that exclusively has power, and, and no other being can do the kind of the thing that is ascribed to him here. No other, other personage can do this. So this verse is a little bit more expansive. Uh, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, you, you give life to them. And then I have Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, which are powerful verses, and they're kind of along the same line. John writes, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And then he says, Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the, and the sea and the springs of water. So this is a, an aspect of God's being that should elicit worship. Praise him and worship him who created and, and made all of these things. It's a powerful verse. Um, and, and we notice here it's associated, made, making the heaven and the earth is associated with uh, fearing God, giving him glory. So he is the one to be worshipped. Well, then kind of moving along here. Um, number four, uh, a persuasion that the God of the Bible is the creator. This is kind of in a different uh, area of thought. But a persuasion that the, that the God of the Bible is the creator of the universe and all that is in it. It's a central com component in praying for boldness in the context of witnessing. It's related here to praying for boldness, this persuasion in the context of witnessing and sharing the gospel. And I, I hope this isn't too tedious here, but I, I have Acts chapter 4. Uh, beginning in verse 13, and, and this is Peter and John. They've been arrested. They're, they're threatened, and, and they're released. But notice here, beginning in verse 13. This is Acts chapter 4 in your notes. Uh, As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they begin to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may, excuse me, but in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in his in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach in all at all at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Then verse 23, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Verse 24, And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. And notice the very first thing that they pray here. O Lord, it is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David thy servant did say, When did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, in this city they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and peoples of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose 
predestined to occur. And verse 29, Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with confidence. That's, that's a thought, their request. Take note of their, their threats. Grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with confidence. While thou dost extend thy hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had, had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And all I'm bringing out here is this, there's a connection between this, this being impressed with the fact that God is creator and praying for boldness in the context of communicating the word in a, in a hostile environment. So it's, it, it's helpful from that um, perspective when one needs boldness, and the, the two are connected here. Then uh, number five, number five, Considering God as your creator or as one's creator is a great preventative to living a life of vanity and to no purpose. Considering the fact that God is a creator, it's a great preventative to living a life that, that comes to nothing. And here just a couple of verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Um, the first one says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So first verse, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. And, and the word some evil days here refers to grievances and inconveniences of, of old age that are later described in the chapter. And then there's another very helpful verse in Ecclesiastes. We won't say as much about it, but the very last verse, this is the King James translation. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is Solomon, I believe, writing towards the end of his life, looking back upon his life. But the words in the, in the first verse that we're looking at here are directed, they're directed to one who was young. Um, and you might think of, of Josiah in this connection, who was, he was 16 years of age, actually eight years old when he became king. Um, and the assessment of Josiah, who's a, a good person he's to study, as he did right in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of his father David, did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Then in the eighth year of his reign, he's 16 years old. While he's still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And, and the Puritan Thomas Brooks uh, picks up on this word now, which occurs in the, at least in the King James Version, the New King James Remember now thy creator. He says, remember him presently, instantly. For thou dost not know what a day, what, what an hour may bring forth. Thou canst not tell what deadly sin, what deadly temptation, what deadly judgment may overtake thee if thou dost not now, even now, remember thy creator. And then he comments on the, on the words, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth, when you're young. <clears throat> he says, he doth not say in the time of thy youth, but in the days of thy youth. To note that our life is but a few days, it is but a vapor or a span, a flower, a shadow, a dream. And therefore Seneca saith well that though death be before the old man's face, yet he may be as near as the young man's back. So it's the idea of being, being ready. Though death be before the old man's face, yet he may be as near as the young man's back. And um, I, I think this is subjective on, on my part. I, I think in times past that um, people have more of an awareness that death was looming. I mean, we can call 911, we've got hospitals, and I, I think there's a little artificial barrier between us and death. We kind of think, well, okay, I'll, I'll be okay for a while. But historically, I think people understood death is at the door. It could happen at any point in time, and so be ready. Um, 
as you would expect, uh, many students of Ecclesiastes comment on the wisdom of remembering God as creator in the days of your youth. Just a couple of related quotes here. One says, youth is the best time to begin serving God. Uh, it's easier to begin then. Habits are unformed and will easily take shape as another or as one another. And then from the biblical illustrator, it says, um, youth, is a, youth, excuse me, youth is a time to store the memory Life is now comparatively free, and all the powers in body and mind are capable of easy development. Now is the time when you may um, get into the habit of thinking about God, into the habit of praying, into the habit of acting from principle, and for the glory of God. If you form the habit now, it will um, ever after be easier to do it right. Youthful piety, we might say youthful godliness, will, will save you from many sins and sorrows. Youthful piety will enable and beautify your life. And it's kind of still in this category. Some other reasons that I, I find it such a helpful uh, verse as it relates to uh, remembering God or keeping God in our mind as creator. One has to do, I've touched on this. Solomon, I, I think, is the author of this particular book. And uh, Solomon's a sad story. As you guys know, you've read the Old Testament. Uh, he had all the advantages that one could have from a spiritual perspective. Had a godly father and, and uh, was able to get counseled by him. And when Solomon was young, he asked God for wisdom. He received it. He, he wrote Proverbs. He had much light and a tremendous advantage, but, but he strayed from that. And Ecclesiastes is a book that he wrote offering reflection on the path that he took. And what, what makes it powerful in addition to that is um, he had all the things that, that people in the world think would um, relate to true happiness on the negative side. Uh, he indulged unholy, unholy appetites with impunity. He had all, all the money that one could ever want. He never had to have a discussion like um, you and I have to have, can you afford it? I mean, can we afford this car? Can we afford this shovel? You know, I mean, can we afford this or that? He, he, um, that discussion was off the radar screen for him. He never had to even think in those terms. And um, so he had all the, all the prestige, the power, that kind of thing, influence one could possibly have. He looks back on his life and he says, it's all vanity. It came to, to nothing. Um, and writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the great preventative pr from pursuing things that would lead to nothing is to remember one's creator in the days of thy youth. And I would add, it's good to remember one's creator. No matter how old you are, that's a good thing to do. So it's remembering one's creator. And then just a little bit more here. Uh, these are, are, are poignant words the way it's put. Remember thy creator. Um, th there's a sense here that God made you. God knows you. He understands what will cause joy? What will cause peace? What's going to be best for your soul? Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. And it's a powerful verse also because it suggests we are completely and always dependent upon him. Remember thy creator all the time because we're always dependent upon him. Uh, Brooks wrote, remember now thy creator. Remember to know him. Remember to love him. Remember to desire him. Remember to delight in him. Remember to depend upon him. Remember to get an interest in him. Remember to live in him and remember to walk with him. So this is a great preventative from living a life of vanity and to no purpose is to remember one's creator and to continue to, to do so. I mean, a couple of more thoughts here that we'll just uh, hit on. And this, all I have here is um, just the mention of them in your, in your notes. I don't have the text. So I turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and just a, a couple of more thoughts related to the, the significance and the importance of the doctrine of creation. So Romans chapter 1, and just um, two more kind of 
kind of bullet points here. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Um, and the, the way that I have it stated here, this would be reason number 6. Uh, natural man's response to the clear evidence of God's glorious creation is a validation of his wretched condition. The response of the natural man to the clear evidence of God's creation, that God is creator, that's a validation of his depraved condition. And, and look at two verses here in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Charles Hodge's very helpful commentary on, on Romans comments here on verse 19. Um, they had such a knowledge of God, um, excuse me, they had such a knowledge of, of God as rendered their impiety inexcusable, that it was evident, it is visible. He writes, the knowledge of God does not mean simply a knowledge that there is a God, but as appears from what follows, a knowledge of his nature and attributes, his eternal power and Godhead, which is mentioned in verse 20. Hodge goes on, it's not a mere external revelation of which the apostle is speaking, but of that evidence of the being and perfections of God, which every man has in the constitution of his own nature and in virtue of which he is com uh, competent to apprehend the manifestations of God in his works. So he's emphasizing there, there's a knowledge of God, it's a revelation, there's a manifestation of God in his works and also in the constitution of one's nature. So in, in God's works and also in the constitution of his nature. Verse 20, so since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And on relationship between uh, verse 19 to verse 20, Hodge says this verse, it's a confirmation and application of the proceeding. Inasmuch as it proves that God does manifest himself to men, it shows how this manifestation is made and draws the inference that men are in virtue of this revelation inexcusable for their impiety. And um, then we have just some, some following comments here. The, the point is, for since the creation of the world, Granfield comments on that, since the creation of the world, the point made is that the self-revelation of God here referred to has been continuous ever since creation, the revelation of God's character in nature in creation and the constitution of one's nature uh, has been going on since creation. In other words, this has been the case since creation. Um, on a clear night in Enumclaw or, or Kent or Puyallup, you can look up and the heavens declare the glory of God and, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. In 1850 in Bismarck, North Dakota, North Dakota, you can look up on a clear night, the heavens declare the glory of God. There's been a continuous revelation since creation. Um, so the creative power of God has been on display ever since creation. It's, it's perceived by those who are created. And the text indicates kind of an interesting phrase here, the invisible, invisible things of him or the invisible attributes is further defined by the eternal power and divine nature. And uh, this is in line with the idea that the scriptures teach that the perfections of God are invisible. The invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Uh, that's an oxymoron where you have contradictory statements that are next to, next to one another like a jumbo shrimp. 
uh, or the word sophomore is from two words that mean wisdom, and it's where we get the English moron, so wise fool. That's the idea of an oxymoron. And here, the invisible things of him are clearly seen. And the idea there is that, that his creation reflects the, the clarity of those attributes and, and those things that are not, the invisible attributes are not seen. But what he has created makes clear and plain to our minds the reality of those particular perfections. Uh, Cranfield says, um, are clearly seen being understood through what has been made, or referring to f- a physical sight, and the sentence as a whole is a, a paradoxical assertion that God's invisible attributes are actually seen in and through creation, through what has been made. That would be creation. So, um, okay, and then just kind of that's just the same thing. Um, uh, okay, how you guys doing? Um, we've got um, two minutes left. So um, let me just mention the last one here, which is um, it's really helpful in, in the times within we, which we live. Uh, number seven, these are all, all related to the significance of creation, and you're in Romans, so um, the rejection of God as creator is a necessary prerequisite for moral degeneracy in its most extreme forms. That'll be the last point. This is how important the doctrine of creation is. The rejection of, of God as creator, that's a prerequisite that is necessary for moral ge- degeneracy to take place in its most extreme forms. Um, you, you might look at uh, Psalm, not right now, but Psalm 53 and verses 1 through 3, but notice verse 25 of Romans chapter 1. They, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever, amen. Well, then what happens? For this reason, God gave them over to what? Degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. So there, there's an exchange that took, took place here. And the, the exchange is, uh, there's a qualitative incongruence about the exchange here. It's, it's not like if you receive a birthday present from somebody and they give you a receipt. You don't like it, you can take it back and get something of similar value. But, but here the exchange is the truth of God for a lie. So there, there's a radical moral incongruency related to the exchange here. And once that exchange is made and, and, and God as creator is discounted, then it just it's a downhill slide to all kinds of immorality. And I, this is the, the times that we are living. I thought this was especially applicable to our times. Once you jettison the idea of God as creator, then there's, this, there's just nothing to stop the downhill slide into the most despicable time, kinds of um, perversity. So the doctrine of God as creator is very central and very significant to our thinking process. And these at least are uh, some thoughts related to that. So let us pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you that um, you are a good God, you are a holy God, you are the creator of the ends of the earth that fainteth not and neither is weary. We thank you we can trust thee. We thank you that we can rely on thee. We thank you that you will accomplish your purposes. We thank you that you are all-powerful, you are almighty. We thank you, above all, that you can raise souls from the dead. We thank you that you can raise a person who is dead in trespasses and sins to new life in Christ. We thank you for that kind of holy spiritual power. And I I pray as we would gather together for worship, that our our time together would be precious, that you would give us a a felt sense of your greatness, your purity, your beauty, your excellency, and your glory. And pray that our our fellowship in the meantime would be sweet and um, um, edifying to our soul. So just continue to bless our time together this day and uh, guide us and direct us by your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.